We are studying tonight Article 26 of the Belgic Confession, which has as its title, Christ's Intercession, and is found on page 66 in our Three Forms of Unity. We believe that we have no access unto God, but alone through the only mediator and advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous, who therefore became man, having united in one person the divine and human natures, that we men might have access to the divine majesty, which access would otherwise be barred against us. But this mediator, whom the Father has appointed between him and us, ought in no wise to affright us by his majesty, or cause us to seek another according to our fancy. For there is no creature, either in heaven or on earth, who loves us more than Jesus Christ, who, being in the form of God, made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men for us. Philippians 2, verses 6 and 7. And in all things he had to be made like his brethren. Hebrews 2, verse 17. If then we should seek for another mediator who would be favorably inclined towards us, Whom could we find who loved us more than he who laid down his life for us, even while we were his enemies? Romans 5, verses 8 and 10. And if we seek for one who has power and majesty, who is there that has so much of both as he who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty on high? Hebrews 8, verse 1. And to whom has been given all authority in heaven and on earth? Matthew 28, verse 18. And who will sooner be heard than the own well-beloved Son of God? Therefore, it was only through distrust that this practice of dishonoring instead of honoring the saints was introduced, doing that which they never have done nor required, but have on the contrary steadfastly rejected according to their bounden duty, as appears by their writings. Neither must we plead here our unworthiness, for the meaning is not that we should offer our prayers to God on the ground of our own worthiness, but only on the ground of the excellency and worthiness of the Lord Jesus Christ, whose righteousness has become ours by faith. Therefore the Apostle, to remove this foolish fear, or rather distrust, from us, rightly says that Jesus Christ in all things was made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest to make propitiation for the sins of his people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Hebrews 2, verses 17 and 18. And further, to encourage us to go to him, he says, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 4, verses 14 and 15. The same apostle says, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Hebrews 10, verses 19 and 22. Likewise, he has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he ever lives to make intercession for them. Hebrews 7, verses 24 and 25. 
What more can be required, since Christ himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14, verse 6. To what purpose should we then seek another advocate, since it has pleased God to give us his own Son as an advocate? Let us not forsake him to take another, or rather to seek after another, without ever being able to find him. For God well knew when he gave him to us that we were sinners. Therefore, according to the command of Christ, we call upon the Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, our only Mediator, as we are taught in the Lord's Prayer, being assured that whatever we ask of the Father in his name will be granted us. Brothers and sisters, in our Lord Jesus Christ, this is one of the longest of the articles in our confession of faith here, and it's certainly due, as is evident from the content of the article, to the Roman Catholic teaching that we should pray to the saints who will, in their turn, make intercession for us. But there are very important uh, truths about the work of Christ here in this article as well. And it's on those that we want to focus tonight. We may note in the first place that in a certain sense we could see this not only as the final article in the Confessions uh, section on the doctrine of salvation. It is that. The next article starts the doctrine of the church but also the final step in the order of salvation, which we've talked about a number of times before. And here I think the question is answered, how do we obtain all that Christ has for us, and how are we to be preserved in all that Christ has uh, done for us? And that is through his intercession. His intercession, therefore, is necessary to out the maintenance of our lives as Christians here in God's world. It is a part of his work of salvation on our behalf. Now the article has five paragraphs, but it's really making just two points, I think, throughout the article, two main points. The first is, of course, that our only access to God is through our mediator, Jesus Christ. And the second is that because God has provided this mediator, we should trust him to do everything that we need done for our salvation. So that's how we're going to divide our study tonight. First, our only access to God is through Jesus Christ, and secondly, we should therefore trust him to do all that is necessary for our salvation. Now, one of the things that should stand out as you begin your reading of this article is that the confession describes our Lord Jesus Christ in a number of different ways in the early sentences of the article. The first thing it says about him is that he is a mediator. And of course, it's the work of a mediator to reconcile two parties who are at odds with each other. We are at odds with God. We have transgressed his law and come under his condemnation. 
and he is angry with us because of our transgression and is ready to condemn us to everlasting torment in hell because of our transgression. But God did not leave us in the transgressions into which we had fallen, but he appointed his Son to mediate between ourselves and him. Notice that it is God who appointed him. This is not a mutually agreed upon mediator, which is the kind of thing you would find in most human settings, where the two parties who are at odds with each other agree upon a mediator who can work with both parties. But God has appointed this mediator for us. And this, the work of mediation, which our Lord Jesus Christ has done, is first of all a work which he has done on the cross. We have been, the scriptures say, reconciled to God by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. But that didn't bring to an end his work of reconciliation. And it's on the other aspect of his work of reconciliation that the article focuses here. And the other aspect of the work of salvation is his mediation or his intercession on our behalf. He continues his work then, his mediatorial and intercessory work as he is seated now at the right hand of God. I want, first of all, in connection with this mediatorial or intercessory work, to point us to the typical example of it in the Old Testament scriptures. And that is primarily found, of course, in Moses, who was an Old Testament mediator for God's people. When the people of Israel had committed the sin of worshiping the golden calf at Mount Sinai, God said to Moses, this is in Exodus 32, verse 10, Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have spoken of I give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. Notice how Moses' mediation or intercession on behalf of the people is based first of all on his understanding that God is jealous for his reputation and jealous for his reputation even among the wicked nations of the world. Why should the, nation, the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? And secondly, notice that his mediation or intercession for the people is based on God's promise. Remember what you said to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
about multiplying their descendants and giving them the land. This is a good example of the intercession or mediation of our Lord Jesus Christ for us. He pleads also the promises of God and the name of God to the face of God on our behalf. The second example which we should never ignore when we are talking about the intercession and mediation of our Lord Jesus Christ is, of course, our Lord's great and wonderful intercessory prayer for us in John chapter 17. Here we do not find him praying for the averting of God's wrath from us, but we find him praying for the great benefits that he has merited for us on his cross. Verses 20 and following, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and so on. Many other wonderful requests that our Lord Jesus Christ makes on our behalf and continues, we may be sure, to make on our behalf now as he is seated at the right hand of God. So he is first our mediator. In the second place, he is our advocate, the confession says. And an advocate is, of course, one who takes up another's cause, especially in legal proceedings, and who defends this other from accusations and attacks which are being made against him. We stand in the judgment of God. Accusations are made to us. Attacks come against us from the world, from our own evil consciences, and from the devil himself. Some of those attacks and accusations are true in themselves. We have committed the accusation, what is we are accused of committing. They are according to the law of God. We know from our own consciences that many of the transgressions of which our consciences accuse us are indeed transgressions which we have committed against God. Some of them gross transgressions, acts of open rebellion against God. But Christ is our advocate, the scriptures teach us, in these matters. We find this especially in 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. 1 John 2, verses 1 and 2. John says there, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. That's his first purpose in writing. So that you may not sin. And he says, if anyone sins... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. He propitiates the wrath of God against us for our sins. So that's the second thing that the confession says of him. He is our advocate. We have an advocate in heaven who defends us from accusations. But notice there in John that Jesus Christ is called the righteous. 
And our confession, perhaps you notice that, borrows that terminology from 1 John 2 and uses it also. Confession speaks of him as our mediator and our advocate, but as the righteous one. He is righteous in his mediation and in his advocacy. I think there are two things that we should understand from that reference to Christ's righteousness. The first thing that we should understand from it is that he will never mediate or advocate for us unrighteously. He will never, for example, seek to hide our sins from his Father in heaven. And he will never seek to avert from us chastisement which we deserve and need. His advocacy and his mediation will always be in harmony with the righteousness of God. And so we must not go to him in our prayers or seek God through him in the hope that somehow this mediator and advocate who is in heaven will overlook our sins or will ignore our sins or will um, seek to turn away from us anger, uh, the anger of God that is needed for our correction. His advocacy and his mediation are righteous in that respect. But here also, of course, it's extremely important to recognize that his advocacy is always based on his own righteousness, which he has given to us. And that he comes to the Father pleading with the Father for our blessing because of what he has accomplished on our behalf. That's why that great intercessory prayer of John 17 is found on the eve of his death. Christ directly associated that prayer with his death in order to show us that that death is necessary for him to become our advocate and our intercessor and our mediator at the Father's right hand. So he is the righteous one. In the fourth place, notice that the confession talks about his incarnation. He is God and man in one person, the confession says. And the confession calls attention to this because it's here in his incarnation that we see how perfect and glorious a mediator God has given to us. He has given to us a mediator who is both God and man, who is able, therefore, to satisfy the righteous anger of God by his mediation, and at the same time to sympathize with us who are worthy of that wrath of God according to our own transgressions. He is God and man in one person who has given himself for us and thus satisfied the wrath of God against our transgressions and made it possible for us to receive his mercy. So that's another thing. He is the perfect mediator in his own person, reconciling God and man. 
And the final thing which the confession points us to here is that he is very majestic and glorious. He is the Son of God himself, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is exalted, therefore, very highly. Now this is an interesting point in this context, because the Church of Rome, in talking about Christ, often emphasized the fearfulness of Christ's majesty, and used this idea of the majesty and glory of Christ to discourage men from seeking him as their mediator and intercessor and to turn them toward the saints and towards Mary as their mediators and intercessors. But the confession uses it exactly in the opposite way. He is very majestic and glorious, And therefore, we should seek him. We should find that not a cause of fear and discouragement, but we should find it a cause of encouragement. And that's where the rest of that first paragraph really leads us then. We should not be afraid of him because he is so highly exalted, And we should not seek another according to our fancy because we have some fears and discouragements with regard to him. We should remember who he is and what he has done on our behalf. So the confession says, no one loves us more than he. Why should we seek him? Well, no one loves us more than he. No human being loves us as much as our Lord Jesus Christ loves us. He is the one who humbled himself, became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. He is the one who took upon him the form of the servant and was made in the likeness of men. For us, that was the measure of his love. Herein is love, not that we loved him, but that he loved us and gave himself to be the propitiation for our sins. Or as Romans chapter 5 puts it, Romans 5 verses 8 and following, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. He loves us. We should not be afraid of him, therefore. Secondly, the confession says, no one is more favorably inclined towards us. Now, let's be careful that we understand that properly. We think of a friend, perhaps, who's favorably inclined toward us, and this friend is willing to come to our defense and to take up the cudgels on our behalf, no matter what we do. So the 
friend will sympathize with us in our grossest transgressions. He will take up the cudgels on our behalf and defend us, even if we have done something which he himself knows is uh, wicked and something we sh- which we should not have done. That's not what the con- confession is talking about here. He's not favorably inclined toward us in order to defend us in our iniquity and in our transgression, but he is favorably inclined toward us in a much better way, in the sense that no one will more earnestly seek our good. And so, sometimes he seeks the chastising hand of his Father upon us, because he knows that that will be for our good. We must not think that he is to be manipulated according to our desires, or that he will so sympathize with us that he will overlook our sins. That's not the nature of his intercessory work. He is graciously and favorably inclined towards us, and that means he will do everything to save us from the ruin into which we so often are rushing. Thirdly, the confession says, no one has more power and majesty, and therefore no one has more ability to help than he. He has been exalted to the right hand of the majesty of the throne on high. All authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. And it has been given to him by his Father so that he may accomplish the work of of salvation which the Father has given him to do. He is an able intercessor and mediator. He is not touched with our weakness in the sense that he cannot do what we cannot do. He can do everything that is necessary for our salvation. Fourthly, the confession argues, no one will be sooner heard than the well-beloved Son of God. God himself said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He loves his Son, And he is ready to hear him at any time and about any one of those whom he has given to him. Those are the things that the confession says about this mediator. And we may add to that from Hebrews chapter 7 verses 24 and 25 one more thing that this mediator whom God has provided for us is an everlasting mediator. He ever lives to make intercession for us, Hebrews says. The Old Testament priests could not continue their mediatorial and intercessory work because death overcame them. But this is one who has conquered death and now lives forever at the right hand of God. Therefore we confess In Romans 8, verses 31 to 35, these great words. What shall we say to these things? 
If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God's, God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? God has given to us a great wonderful mediator. We cannot imagine any better mediator or intercessor than the one the Father has given. And therefore, the confession says, we should trust him to do all that is necessary for us. That's the second main point of this article. And of course, it's especially in this point that the confession is answering the Church of Rome and its teaching that we should pray to the saints and we should look to the saints to make intercession for us. The confession says of this, that's distrust of God. And it's distrust of God because God has given us one mediator between God and men. Not many. He has given us one mediator. And if we do not trust God, then and only then do we go and seek other mediators and intercessors. But it is also distrust of Christ who has given himself for us and who is now ascended to the right hand of God and makes intercession for us there at the right hand of God. And we say, no, I, I can't be satisfied with that intercession of Christ. I need something more, something different. I will find mediation and intercession in the saints. Now, we do, of course, here on earth, ask others to pray for us. And we find the Apostle Paul, for example, in various passages throughout his epistles, asking the saints to pray for him and telling telling them that he is praying for them. This is a part of our life as Christians here in the world, that we pray for our fellow saints. So what's so bad about asking the saints to make intercession for us? Well, the first thing I think that we should recognize is that the Catholic Church has gone far beyond what the Scriptures teach here. First of all, these saints to whom we are to pray are in heaven, not on earth. And there is no example in the scriptures of any one of God's people on earth praying to the saints in heaven to make intercession for them. Perhaps they do. We don't really know. The scriptures don't tell us what the saints in heaven are doing on our behalf, if anything. But the scriptures do not instruct us to ask those saints who have gone to glory to pray for us. Secondly, though, and much more importantly, the the saints in Roman Catholic teaching are a very special group of people, aren't they? They're not just uh, ordinary people of God who are now in heaven. But these are 
those who have bypassed purgatory, which most of God's people have to pass through, and who have gone directly to heaven, and they have gone directly to heaven because of their special works here on earth, and the excess merit which they have earned here on earth. And this excess merit of these saints then becomes available to us, and so we look to these saints to obtain this excess of merit for ourselves, to have this excess of merit transferred to ourselves. And it's part of what the Catholic Church calls venerating the saints, but what is really worshiping the saints, contrary to the commandment of God, who has said, worship me and no one else. So we do not seek other mediators and intercessors. We have one mediator and intercessor, who is our Lord Jesus Christ. But there are other uh, things which we have to address here in this article as well. One of the problems that the uh, Catholic Church was trying to address by its doctrine of intercession of the saints was that we sometimes feel that Christ is too highly exalted and too holy for us, that we are not worthy to come to his presence. And we need someone who is uh, closer to us, someone who is uh, more understanding, perhaps, of our problems. We therefore seek these um, lower mediators or lower intercessors because Christ is so highly exalted and We must not think, after all, that we are worthy somehow of coming into the presence of Christ himself. We may be worthy to come into the presence of some of the saints, but certainly not into the presence of Christ. And what the confession says here is, of course we're not worthy. Of course we're not worthy to come to Christ, our mediator. But we do not come to Christ, our mediator, on the grounds of our worthiness. And Christ does not intercede for us with his Father on the grounds of our worthiness. He does not say to his Father ever, they deserve this, this blessing that I'm asking on their behalf. He intercedes for us on the ground of his own worthiness and his own righteousness. So we acknowledge our unworthiness to approach this great Savior. But we acknowledge at the same time that his righteousness has covered our unworthiness and has enabled us to enter even into the most holy place itself, the very presence of God. We depend on the worthiness of Christ, then, not on our own worthiness. Now, the the, uh, third paragraph of the article is basically just a quotation of 
a series of scripture passages. And I want to call your attention to those scripture passages which all talk about this work of our Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf. And we should notice that all of those quotations in the third paragraph are from the book of Hebrews, that book which is such a great explanation to us of the work, uh, the high priestly work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Most of that book is devoted to a discussion of the priestly work of Christ. Hebrews 2, verses 17 and 18 is the first passage cited. Therefore, in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. He's a merciful and faithful high priest for us. Hebrews 4 is even more explicit. Verses 14, 15, and 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And notice here then what the Hebrews says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. That's to Christ's throne, not the throne of some saint. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 7, verses 24 and 25. Actually, let's begin in verse 23. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing, but he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is able also to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. And finally, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 and following. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest, and that is the most holy place, the heavenly sanctuary, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. In other words, one of the great messages of the book of Hebrews is be bold to come to God in Jesus Christ because he is a great and a sufficient mediator and intercessor for you. You need no other, and you need not be afraid of this one whom God has given. God knew when he gave him to us that we were sinners, and Christ makes intercession for transgressors.
we emphasize then finally that he is a sufficient intercessor. That's in paragraph 4 of the confession. And here the confession cites John 14, verse 6. He is the way, Jesus said it himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. No one comes to the Father except by me. When we seek God through any other intercessor or mediator, we become diverted from the way, the truth, and the life of our Lord Jesus Christ and do not find the God whom we seek. There is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, and he is abundantly sufficient for the work which God has given him to do. Trust him, therefore. Believe in him. Seek him. Therefore, the confession concludes, we call on the Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ himself. This is why at the end of our prayers we say, for Jesus' sake, or in Jesus' name. We are coming to the Father through Jesus Christ. We are recognizing him as our mediator, intercessor, and advocate. We are looking to the promise of the scriptures that while we pray to our Heavenly Father, our Lord Jesus Christ is also making intercession for us with him. So we call on the Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Therefore, also, we are assured that whatever we ask in his name, he will give us. Now let's note the language there. That's important language. The language is not whatever we ask, he will give. A very important thing for us to recognize. James talks about this matter in chapter 4. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures adulterers and adulteresses. Doesn't mean that God will give us whatever we ask. We sometimes ask wrongly. And sometimes even though we do not ask wrongly, God will not give us what we ask. We are to bring our requests to Him. We are to tell Him the desires of our hearts. We are to ask of him the things that we think we need. But he will sometimes still say no. He's far too wise a father to us and far too gracious to us to let us think that we know better than he what we need. He's far too wise and gracious, therefore, to give us all that we ask. No, the promise is that what we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, his Son, 
he will surely give. That is, when we ask and we say to him, grant it for Jesus' sake, or we pray in Jesus' name, when we can truly say, we pray in Jesus' name, then he will give us what we ask. Because then, we are asking for the what his son asks also. And his son knows our needs because as Romans 8 teaches us, his son knows the mind of the spirit who dwells within us and who cries sometimes in us with groanings which we cannot utter. He is a, an abundantly sufficient mediator. Seek your heavenly Father through him. May God bless us with his word.